Dear colleagues, dear friends, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to this new podcast organized by IHAT as part of the educational activities. Well, the purpose of this podcast is to give you a flavor of our recent uh, program focused on von Ullebrand disease. And today I have the great privilege and honor to welcome Professor Sophie Suzanne. Sophie, hello. Hello, Cédric. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time uh, to join us. I know you are quite busy. And uh, what we would like to do now is to discuss a topic that you really like, you really love, you are uh, quite interested in this, which is the uh, the management of the gastrointestinal bleeding in patients with von Willebrand disease. So a question I would like to ask to you uh, is, how did you get interested in that specific complication over the last uh, few years? Because it's the most challenging situation in von Willebrand's disease. I mean, uh, it's not so frequent, but it's always challenging. And we have to discuss with uh, other specialities, such as gastroenterologists, which is something sometimes difficult. And so that's why I think uh, it was uh, useful to provide some guidances at first in my hospital. And then we applied those guidances uh, in a nationwide fashion. Okay. And uh, in terms of um, prevalence, so demography of, of this uh, GI involvement and complication of uh, von Ullebrand disease. Is that something that uh, our colleagues should frequently uh, encounter in their practice or what's the prevalence? So the true prevalence is um, has been studied by the Swedish group. Uh, and what we should keep in mind is that uh, GI bleeding is the first cause of hospitalization in the general population. And it's increased by tenfold in von Willebrand's disease uh, whatever the type uh, of von Willebrand's disease. So it's frequent uh, in the general population and it's more frequent in von Willebrand's disease. And if I'm, I understand well, these patients can present with spontaneous bleeding from the GI tract. Yes, and the, the, there are a lot of presentations. They can have just uh, iron uh, dif, dif, um, uh, and, and uh, anemia. They, they have life-threatening bleeding. Uh, it's uh, it, it, and the, all the causes of uh, GI bleeding uh, uh, can be present in von Willebrand's disease, but there is a specific lesion uh, which is called angiodysplasia. It's a, an abnormal uh, um, development of vessels uh, in the GI tract, which is more frequent in von Willebrand's disease, inherited and also acquired. But we, today we are talking mainly on uh, uh, inherited uh, von Willebrand's disease. Well, I know that in, in your lecture, you gave plenty of details and a lot of, uh, of information from the literature from your group and other groups. But uh, uh, just for to inform our practice, uh, when should our colleague think about this complication in our patients? So they, they meet patients with von Willebrand or um, they suspect von Willebrand. So when should they suspect that the, the GI tract could be involved? You mean with angiodysplasia? Yeah, and, and uh, yes. Well, uh, angiodysplasia is often uh, um, presenting as a, a melina or, or uh, um, 
um, anemia, which is a, a, very freak, a very frequent symptom. And in case of severe von Willebrand's disease, meaning type 3 or type 2b, uh, all the types that are lacking high molecular weight multimers or are very severe, um, an exploration, an extensive exploration of, GI, of the GI tract should be performed uh, at least at, at the, after the first uh, episode of GI bleeding. Uh, it, we are working on that. Yeah, and in terms of yeah, what sort of investigation should ideally be performed? So if you want to summarize, what would be the the best, the optimal approach in terms of diagnosis and endoscopy and so on? Yeah, of course, there, there are uh, all the exploration that should be performed, like in the general population, meaning uh, um, gastroscopy and colonoscopy. And sometimes uh, the, the cause of the GI bleeding is evident and uh, you don't need to go further. But very often, uh, and in particular in case of uh, recurrence of GI bleeding, you need to uh, take all the means uh, to identify the lesion. So um, the video, um, video capsule, PILCAM, uh, which is swallow and allows uh, to uh, uh, document uh, the uh, the um, small bowel and uh, all the GI tract could be, could be should be performed and it's very important to have in mind that in a few couple of years it will be very easy because it will be analyzed with artificial intelligence and it will be be very easy to have a total imaging of the GI tract but now it's not like that so you have to convince gastroenterologists to do uh, this uh, this video capsule uh, examination. And what could be done is also uh, angio CT scan, because while the patient is bleeding, it doesn't require any uh, special uh, preparation of the GI tract, and you can have uh, the direct imaging of the bleeding. Of course, it doesn't allow to treat the patient locally, but at least it gives you uh, the localization of the bleeding. So these are tests that you classically perform in your center. Yeah. to investigate these patients. And so these angiodysplastic lesions, so, so they are present in a normal population with, without von Willebrand, but what's there, if, if you take a, your experience and, and the, the French uh, uh, population, so in patients with uh, von Willebrand, what percentage of them could have angiodysplasia? Any idea about this? Um, it's not it's not so evident uh, to uh, to give a precise number because uh, we performed a survey and and that yeah. survey uh, the survey does not provide any um, information on on true prevalence. Um, it was of course there is a referral bias for that. Uh, we can say it's rare uh, angiodysplasia, uh, more frequent in type three and in type two A and type two B, but still can be present in type one and in that, in other types of Willebrand's disease. And what's really um, um, important to have in mind is as, as the moment when you uh, identify a patient with angiodysplasia and von Willebrand's disease, he, he will uh, have a recurrence in um, half, half patients will have recurrences. So you must follow this patient in your center. You must have news about him and you must maybe find a gastroenterologist who will be in charge of this patient and will plan with you all the exams that will be important to perform in case of recurrences. So an important message for our colleagues is that not only type two and type three, but also type one yeah. could be concerned by this, because I think this is one, one of the main findings of, of the, the, the study you conducted. Yeah. 
So this is even an important. It's, even if it's lower, uh, lower frequency, it, it can happen. Okay, and uh, in terms of uh, pathophysiology, because I know this is a, a topic you are interested in. So how, why do the these patients with Brown disease develop this kind of lesion? What what you what would be your hypothetical, you know, pathophysiology? So to, to things that we know and maybe we do not know. Okay, I think there is a lot we don't know, but but what we know is that um, that may be uh, an impairment of angiogenesis in the, in those patients. Um, Anna Randi uh, provided a lot of uh, um, scientific evidence to document uh, uh, the uh, link between von, von Wilborn factor angiogenesis and and uh, wound healing uh, repair. Uh, it's not it's not so evident to have a, a, a unique pathway. Maybe uh, it's linked to uh, the VEGF pathway. Um, maybe it's the um, high molecular weight multimerase defect uh, per se, um, meaning that the uh, platelet adherence to the vascular wall that is involved. Maybe it's the fragments of degraded uh, VWF is involved. Uh, we, do, we, we don't know. Uh, clearly, we don't know. There are a lot of hypotheses, but there are no model accurate models, no animal models. Uh, there are uh, um, experiments that are ongoing on gut on sheep models, which maybe will provide some new evidence. But what we can say is that at least there is an impairment in angiogenesis, and that in those situations, um, that is also observed uh, in patients with aortic stenosis and uh, vascular uh, ventricular assist devices and ECMO, which are um, which have also acquired von Willebrand uh, syndrome, um, is that maybe the frontline therapy is more uh, uh, anti-angiogenics than uh, von Willebrand factor replacement. And but, but until now, um, in those patients, sometimes we we begin uh, prophylaxis with and, and factor. Do you think there is any well, uh, if there is a big of difference between the acquired uh, von Willebrand disease and congenital von Willebrand disease in terms of angiodysplasia uh, generation? So we know that, and you studied a lot this patients with aortic stenosis, ECMO, and so on. Um, so they also lose their multimers. So do you think that the, the mechanisms are more less involved or are they more specific for acquired? Maybe for acquired, the first hypothesis could be, and it has been shown by a, by a group, that uh, proteolytic fragments could be toxic, let's say, uh, for the vascular wall of the GI tract. And uh, on top of that, um, the... Um, the the flow uh, in the vascular bed is is impaired in those situations, which is not the case for von Willebrand's disease. So maybe there are different pathways uh, that, that are combined, uh, and there is a tri uh, trigger uh, triggering event, and on top of that, other events. So I think it's not uh, an, an easy picture to describe. Okay, but clearly an area where our younger colleagues uh, yep. should certainly invest time in terms of research and uh, and well you said that vgf could could well is involved so do you think that there, there could be any role for vgf assay 
Yeah, yes, uh, the, um, and, and the, um, if we look at what was performed in uh, another situation, uh, telangiectasia, um, where uh, the uh, treatment of anti-VEGF bevacizumab was quite successful to reduce the bleeding symptoms, um, maybe there's something to do in Vandilbrand's disease patients. Uh, with that, uh, but again, until now we only have uh, case reports. But uh, the efficacy of of such a treatment could could also prone for a role of the VOGF uh, pathway in the occurrence of those vascular abnormalities. Okay, so let's now move to the to the treatment. So how can we really help this patient who have this uh, angiodysplasia? And we know this is a major complication for them. Uh, with a major impact on their daily life and, and things like that. So what would be uh, the, the ideal treatment approaches of these patients? The, the, first, the first step is to identify the lesion uh, and where and the localization of the lesion. First, because uh, what we've seen in, in our survey is when you have a small bowel angiodysplasia, you already know that there will be an increased risk of recurrence. And so you will have to explain to the patient all the signs and, and so on. And you will have to discuss with the gastroenterologist, okay, we are treating this first episode, but let's decide what we will perform in case of recurrence. So I think that's very important for the patient at first, uh, because it, it will, it will uh, be more adherent to the treatment when you explain what's, what's going on. Um, so the first is uh, identify the localization of the lesion and, uh, if possible, to treat with plasma argon, meaning that uh, there is a, um, um, a special access uh, with on, uh, endoscopy uh, to treat locally the lesion, and it's the best treatment uh, for those kind of lesions. But sometimes you don't identify the lesion or you treat you you have the idea to treat lesions that are not bleeding. So uh, sometimes you need to introduce uh, prophylaxis, which is which we know that it is much more uh, less more effective than for other uh, bleeding symptoms. Um, the, uh, the 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 ratio for efficacy is much less than for uh, hemarthrosis or uh, menorrhagia, for instance. So it's not the best option. But this is but this is something you would recommend. You would recommend these patients to be on prophylaxis in case of recurrence after the local treatment. Yeah, and uh, in terms of uh, well, we know that in in this big family of uh, von Neumann factor concentrate, we have different products. We have dual concentrate, we have mono concentrate, or we have even no recombinant uh, von Neumann factor. Any preference? So in case of severe von Dilbrand's disease in which uh, factor eight uh, levels are uh, uh, are low, um, for the first infusion, I'm not talking about prophylaxis, but yeah. an acute bleeding, you need to uh, to provide some factor eight for the first infusion. So it can be a solution mm -hmm. to have a dual concentrate. But for prophylaxis, uh, there is no um, preference in terms of uh, pl pl um, plasmatic concentrate. I mean, you can use dual or... Uh, pure uh, VWF concentrate. It has been hypothesized that uh, recombinant von Willebrand factor concentrate containing high content of high molecular, very high mole uh, molecular weight multimers could be a, a treatment option, a better treatment option in those patients. 
Well, it's, it has not been demonstrated yet. What we can observe with this treatment in case of prophylaxis is that sometimes uh, the half-life of factor eight and of VWF is longer uh, than with plasma derived. So uh, I don't know if uh, it increased the efficacy in case of prevention of recurrence of uh, GI bleeding, but still sometimes the half-life is better. Okay, well, I think we are now close uh, to the end of this uh, discussion. Maybe you have two or three uh, take-home messages uh, that you know do capture uh, your your presentation. Well, know your gastroenterologist uh, well. Uh, invite him to take a coffee, discuss about your patients, uh, and be uh, be keen with with him or her because we, you will have to be in contact very often, and uh, you will have to treat locally uh, the patients. So it, it should be they should be on board. And after that, there is a lot of research to do, and we will have to combine our efforts in a European way uh, to collect all the observation and maybe to build some new studies uh, on the European level. Thank you. Well, yesterday I, we emphasized in another podcast the importance to interact with the gynecologist, and today we emphasize the the critical aspects of having good relationships with our colleague gastroenterologists. So Sophie, thank you very much again thank for you. contributing so actively to this education program. Your, your presentation is great. It's a, it's a unique overview of this very important topic. And uh, I invite all our colleagues and friends to watch it very soon. Thank you and uh, see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.